Governor Abbott gets COVID while he fights school districts about fighting COVID. You can't make this stuff up. Welcome to the Texas Take, the number one political podcast in the great state. I'm Scott Braddock, editor at QuorumReport.com. And back from a two-week vacation, he looks tanned, rested, and ready. It's Jeremy Wallace at the Houston Chronicle. How are you, sir? Oh, I am ready to go. Absolutely. After all that traveling, just ready to talk about Texas politics. Well, I know you've been covering it, and you were all over the state. I mean, you traveled all over America, and then you were uh, driving from Austin to Houston, back here uh, to our home base in Austin. And I'll tell you what, I'll make you a deal. I had to make all the editorial decisions for the last couple of shows, so I'll let you pick. What, what we're going to start with here, because there's there's so much going on. It was a, it was a momentous week in Texas politics, the end of the quorum break in the Texas House. I think we should definitely talk about that. You've got the governor contracting COVID, which his office announced uh, earlier in the week. You've got the governor's war with the school districts, uh, you know, uh, continuing right now. And I still don't have an exhaustive list of all the entities that are in court with the state of Texas yeah. over COVID uh, over uh, COVID restrictions. So you pick. What do you think we should start with? Look, when the, when the head of the Texas government gets COVID-19, I think it's hard not to, you know, dive into what has happened. How did the governor, mm-hmm. who was seemingly taking all these precautions early on in this pandemic uh, and saying all the right things about how Texans can avoid it, oh, yeah. how did he get it? Yeah, right. The, mm-hmm. the governor announced his positive COVID test on social media. I test myself every day, and today is the first day that I tested positive. The good news is that my wife continues to test negative. Also want you to know that I have received the COVID-19 vaccine, and that may be one reason why I'm really not feeling any symptoms right now. So he doesn't have symptoms, asymptomatic. He's already getting um, the Regeneron treatment, uh, the antibody treatment, uh, and there was a dispute. Uh, an NBC re- a report had said that he possibly got a third shot, the booster shot of the COVID-19 um, uh, uh, vaccine. I think his office sort of disputed that, but not in a direct way. There's a lot of information here that maybe is, is sort of sketchy. Um, but bottom line, in that video, he looked fine. He's being treated. Of course, he's the governor of Texas, so he's getting excellent health care. Uh, but you had reported on an event that he attended the night before this news came out about him having COVID. And I saw the pictures afterward, Jeremy. It looked like a super spreader event. Yeah, uh, he was up in uh, Collin County uh, speaking to the Heritage Club, uh, Republican Club. Uh, it, it's a, you know, obviously in Collin County, but there were 600 people in this room. Mm-hmm. And like, I started writing about it on Tuesday morning, uh, because, you know, Governor Abbott put out, you know, some pictures of the event and it looked like nobody in the crowd was wearing a mask and there was definitely no social distancing going on. Right. And there were all these people shaking his hands. And I pointed out, boy, this is a, you know, a, an odd look at a time when COVID numbers are, are exploding around the state, including in Collin County. Collin County's in a hospital region that, you know, is like every other hospital region right now that's really taxed and running yeah. out of hospital beds. So I, I just questioned, you know, well, boy, this looks like a, a crazy event to be at at this time. And it was just hours later that we got the announcement that Abbott had tested positive for COVID-19. Yeah, so and- like he was around shaking hands mm-hmm. with all those people in that room. Uh, and really up close with them. So it's not like he was just 
far back and mm-hmm. that's the end of the show folks and i'm gone and it's like he was mingling with that crowd so yeah and and from the pictures it looked like a lot of elderly folks we know that yes. with some of the breakthrough cases uh we saw some of those numbers out of travis county where we live just this week uh that uh the median age for those breakthrough cases looked to be um in the high 70s of 77 78 something like that i was going through those numbers yesterday elderly folks in that crowd no social distancing and you can imagine with the kind of ideology represented in the crowd there's probably a few people who are not vaccinated that would be my guess with a republican crowd like that yeah the good news for abbott or what i thought was good news you know after the event was that you know he's in collin county and collin county's done pretty good in terms of getting people vaccinated compared to other parts of the state if you look at the fully vaccinated numbers they're above the state average so they're doing pretty good uh, in comparison to a lot of places. So I thought maybe, you know, that would be, mm-hmm. you know, at least somewhat helpful. But clearly, yeah, there's clearly people in that room who wouldn't weren't vaccinated. Uh, and again, we don't know if he got it from that event or if mm-hmm. he got it from a day or two before right. and then brought it to the event. <laughs> well, it would make sense that he might have gotten it at the event because you heard him say in that audio from the from the Twitter video, he tests himself every day. Yeah. Right. So it could very well be that he got it at that event. And then I guess they would have to uh, share the governor's information with folks who were at the event because they would want to do contact tracing, you know, in a situation like that and, and let those people know yeah. uh, what and, had and happened. I, and, and I asked the governor's office about that. And mm-hmm. they did say that they, they, you know, they were in contact with everybody who came in contact with the governor. Okay. So I'm assuming that means that they, you know, let folks know that, oh, by the way, you know, you might want to get tested and the governor has COVID-19. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, everybody hopes that he's just fine. Um, I I would say that because of uh, the governor's disability, of course, he is in a wheelchair and does have some pre-existing conditions. He'd be at high risk, uh, you know, as somebody uh, who could uh, potentially either end up in the hospital or it could could even be fatal for somebody who's in his situation. It's it's never been, um, you know, a sure thing uh, with the governor's health because of the very unfortunate accident he had decades ago that did put him uh, in that wheelchair. Yeah, he's had decades of medical care because of what happened to him. And so, you know, we, you know, obviously we don't know the, you know, his medical reports in and out, but, you know, look, it's never good to get COVID for anybody. But if you have a history of medical issues, it's like you definitely don't want to get COVID. This thing is like some bad stuff, man. It gets anybody, even like healthy people, Mm -hmm. you know, it, it can take you down, you know, pretty easily. So anybody with any sort of pre existing conditions or medical histories, you know, you know, those folks are, completely nervous about getting something like this. Yeah, and this is unfolding as the governor continues to fight with the local leadership and communities around this state, mayors, county judges, and especially lately, the superintendents of schools, the school boards in the independent school districts, which are defying him all over the place. And this started, Jeremy, uh, as you were on vacation, it was sort of the big school districts, uh, Dallas, uh, where you had the superintendent, Michael Hinojosa, saying that he would pay the fine, a $1,000 fine, to defy Governor Abbott about a mask mandate in the school district. You had the Houston School District, which, of course, is the largest district in Texas. And it was maybe in those more democratic or liberal enclaves where this was first starting to happen. But in the couple of weeks since, these uh, school districts are standing up all over the place in very conservative areas, suburban Texas, some are in rural Texas. It was the Paris ISD, which is not a liberal area. No. You know, out in East Texas, but Paris. It's no, it's no Paris, France. <laughs> right. Paris, Texas is a different deal. In Paris, Texas, 
uh, the school district, uh, the, the school board and the superintendent came up with sort of um, a, a loophole, if you will, to try to get around Governor Abbott's ban on mask mandates. They said they weren't mandating masks. They just were making the mask part of the school dress code. How do you like that? That's clever. They're, you know, it, it, it reminded me of you remember when uh, the Bear County judge was crossways with Governor Abbott about the COVID restrictions, and he went ahead and put some restrictions in place. Nelson Wolf in uh, in Bear County did, and the governor said, "Well, finally, somebody read my whole order and figured out what you're allowed to do, right?" So, you know, I don't know if that's the way it's going to go with that school district, but in the meantime, you have the Attorney General Ken Paxton suing school districts all over the place uh, and yeah. ending up before the Texas Supreme Court, which I thought interestingly just yesterday, uh, told Paxton to at least slow down. The Supreme Court lately, and I hate to sound cynical, has sounded a little bit like a rubber stamp for whatever Governor Abbott wants to do on a lot of this different stuff. But at least on this, they told Paxton he needed to go through a lower appellate court process first before it could make its way to the Texas Supreme Court. It is okay to take these cases right to the Supreme Court sometimes, but you have to articulate why you're doing that. And apparently he had not done that. Uh, former Congressman Beto O'Rourke, who... Are we calling him potential governor candidate in Texas um, or just that we have him on sort of our watch list for somebody who might run statewide again? Am I being yeah. fair with that? You've talked to him a bunch of times about it. Yeah, he's he's definitely not a candidate. We, let's, let's say what we know. He's definitely not a candidate. But, he's definitely thinking about it, no, but he's definitely not ready to announce. <laughs> okay. Well, he was uh, on MSNBC once again. And, you know, for about a month, he's been on um, cable news almost daily to talk about the voting rights fight that was going on yep. and is still going on uh, in Texas and nationally. Well, he was talking this time about the tension between those local governments and Abbott when it comes to these COVID restrictions. Until we see some real leadership from our, our governor, we have uh, hundreds of thousands of children across the state of Texas who are unnecessarily in harm's way right now. But the good story, Lawrence, tonight is that more than 50 school boards across the state of Texas, including in El Paso just last night, have voted to require masks, defying the governor's mandate that tried to stop local jurisdictions from protecting the public health. That is a, a testament to the direct involvement of parents and constituents and concerned citizens across Texas who are going to these school board meetings and speaking out and standing up for science and the truth and, and public health. And so we want to see that trend continue, regardless of what the governor's doing or not doing. We're going to get to the quorum break coming up, and that has to do with the voting rights fight that I mentioned. But I have to say that I think this is a much better issue for Democrats, at least in the moment, because this is what everyone is thinking about. It's back to school time. Some of the yep. kids just went back this week. I think some of them went back last week. But, but you know, people are dropping the kids off at school or putting them on the bus with their cute little mask and worried about, uh, you know, their kids uh, you know, heading into what they may see and maybe right is a is a dangerous situation i have heard from pretty conservative parents all over this state jeremy who say that they privately are talking to school administrators talking to they're talking to you know the principals or they're talking to the teacher or even the superintendent there at their district and they're kind of um almost it's like a whisper thing they'll say that we are going to do the masks in class right and that and but when they go back out into the community they don't really talk about that because they live in areas where there's a lot of supporters of President Trump, a former President Trump. Um, and, you know, the mask, as far as those folks are concerned, is some sign of weakness and some yeah. sign that you're a Democrat instead of a Republican because of the way masks have been so politicized. 
Yeah, exactly. And it's like you, you get the situation right at this point where the mask has become some sort of an emblem, you know, a political, you know, fighting, you know, you know, I, 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 I'm not to- totally sure how it got that way so quickly because yeah. it was just a year ago. Remember when you know Governor Abbott was you know putting in mask mandates, yeah. uh, and allowing that to happen mm-hmm. all over the state, and it helped bring down you know the the curve at that point or flatten the curve, and you know things got better. Then we had another spike, and again people were wearing masks, so it brought it down again. Mm-hmm. And here we are on the third one. The governor's not doing that. Right. So what's and, changed, right? You know, and you know, it's hard not to make a political point here as like Abbott. I is doing, think you should make it. Abbott is doing exactly what those Republican primary voters, uh, the people who voted overwhelmingly for Trump, want. You know, they don't like you know the masks and any of the other mandates represent something bigger than just fighting COVID nineteen for them. It represents something they feel the government overreach, you know, has hit some level that, you know, we can't turn back on. Right. And so you look at places. So so where does this message, you know, you know, of no mask ever, you know, no mandates ever, where does that play well? You know, I have a story going in this weekend where I kind of look at the correlation between, you know, places that aren't getting vaccinated and how they voted for President Trump or Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and so looking at the data, you look at a place like King County okay. and, uh, you know, out in, you know, it's out near the panhandle. Those folks, you know, have, uh, uh, they voted 95% for Donald Trump, 95%. Yeah. <laughs> Their vaccination rate, 17%, the wow. lowest in the entire state. You can uh, almost make a direct correlation yeah, between you the voting pattern and how people are getting vaccinated. Exactly. So when Abbott's saying, I'm not doing anything to mandate vaccines, that crowd is probably pretty happy with mm-hmm. that. And he needs those people. Let's not forget that if you know, we continue on with the uh, uh, March 1st primary, mm-hmm. that means voting starts in that primary in January because of you know, the 45-day window mm-hmm. to start absentee voting. Mm-hmm. So we got five months here, and Abbott's got to be worried about those five months to getting to election to make sure he wins his primary because you can't win a general if you can't win the primary. Right. And I'm going to make the case that those folks are not happy with Abbott, despite him making that decision and making some of these decisions. Let, let, let me let me prove it to you. So did you see that Ted Cruz, our junior senator, did come out and endorse Greg Abbott, which was something that Cruz was hesitant to do. You may remember with our senior senator, John Cornyn, because they haven't always been on the same page about different things. Well, Cruz was talking to the true uh, Texas project. You know about this? It's it's uh, the reincarnation of what was the Northeast Tarrant Tea Party uh, in Tarrant yeah. County. It's one of the one of the largest uh, tea parties in the state, which of course would make it one of the largest tea parties in America, right? But they're kind of not calling themselves Tea Party anymore. A lot of these different groups. Some of them are, some of them aren't, but they have taken on different uh, forms all around the country. Uh, but these are your uh, more libertarian leaning uh, Republicans. Some of them would be fans of the people who are running against Greg Abbott in his primary, the primary yep. you mentioned, uh, Don Huffines, a businessman from Dallas. I'm using businessman loosely. And uh, Alan West, who is the former chairman of the Republican Party of Texas. Listen to Ted Cruz talk to that crowd about his endorsement of Abbott. And they are not happy about it. And the things they're not happy about are some of these decisions that he's made on COVID-19, including the mask requirements that you mentioned that he put in place a year ago, shutting down certain businesses that he was doing in the height of the restrictions last summer and things like that. 
There are a lot of folks here who have concerns with some of the things Greg Abbott has done. I understand that. I understand that, and I think primaries are healthy things in politics. But I got to say, and I, as for me, I'm going to vote for Greg Abbott. And to be honest, that's fine, that's fine. Look, to, 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 to be honest, I think I'd be a disloyal jackass if I didn't vote for him given two decades of our working side by side. And so the political process can play out, but, but I want you to understand where I'm coming from because I've got 20 years of history uh, behind our friendship. You notice that the endorsement of Abbott by Cruz has more to do with their relationship and their friendship. And earlier in his answer, Cruz had said that he would not even be in the United States Senate if not for the backing of Greg Abbott. It has more to do with Abbott liking Cruz than anything else, uh, more to do with that than shared values or having done good things for Texas. Uh, but to your point about this primary, so, so you have those people who are not happy with Abbott at an event like that. And you might be quick to dismiss it and say, you know what, Scott and Jeremy, y'all are crazy because that's a small little group and it's just, you know, some uh, disaffected folks and who cares about that? Well, 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 let me tell you why. Because that primary is probably not going to start in January. It's, it's probably not going to be held in March. It's probably going to get delayed because of the redistricting process they're about to go through in Austin, which is going to, and this is the way one person who's working on redistricting put it to me, they said any second that they don't get the maps done, for every second they don't get it done, is another second that they have to wait to do the election next year. And there is a bill uh, on the agenda for the special session that has to do with adjusting the dates yep. for when the elections can be. So they're expecting this. And if you think back to how Cruz originally got into office, and this is an interesting deal, you can only be in office so long before you are the establishment. When Cruz was the upstart Tea Party guy in 2012, the situation I just, what we just described is exactly how he got into office, Exactly. right? In 2012, the election was delayed because redistricting delayed the election, the primary, and the runoff that he got into with a then sitting lieutenant governor, somebody who had already won statewide, David Dewhurst, lost to this guy people never heard of before named Ted Cruz. So when people say, oh, wait, there's no way Greg Abbott could lose to this, what's his name, Don Huffines, or this, what's his name, Alan West or this other what's-his-name, Chad Prather. No, no, they, that absolutely could happen, and that's why, to your point, you see Abbott uh, making these moves he's making now to try to basically make up with that base after he made them so angry before. Yeah, exactly. Like, and and well, what we know in politics, like, you know, six months is a lifetime. You mm -hmm. know, it's just like, you know, you know, I know people say, oh, Abbott's so far ahead in the polls right now, et cetera, et cetera. But look, look we've seen this before. You know, like like you mentioned, Dewhurst is a great example. You know, Dewhurst was supposed to be the leader of that, you know, primary and he didn't make it out. You right. know, I can point to Ron DeSantis in Florida. It's like, you know, Adam Putnam was, you know, in a similar situation as Abbott, he had such a huge lead, you know, he had all the money, all the endorsements, and nobody thought this DeSantis guy could ever pull this off. Well, he beat him in the primary, you know, so it's just, you just can't be too certain about this stuff. And you know, the Abbott campaign isn't going to take these challenges lightly. Uh, they, they're, I'm sure they're confident, but I'm also sure that they're nervous because remember, Greg Abbott really hasn't ever had a primary. Right. He's never been in a right. primary for governor. Uh, he definitely wasn't one in for attorney general. And obviously in the Supreme Court, he never had a primary. Uh, so the guys really had, 
you know, a 26-year career in state politics mm -hmm. without ever facing another Republican, you know, on stage somewhere trying to take him out. And Absolutely. here he has this chance to. We mentioned Dewhurst. You know, you know who else beat him in a similar sort of situation? Hmm. Um, would, that be? would that be Texas Fox News correspondent Dan Patrick? <music> Lieutenant Governor Patrick was on the Laura Ingram show talking about uh, the situation with COVID, and he made a lot of people angry. You saw this, right? Did yes. Uh, let me see. Let me let me see if we can find the tape. Let's go to the tape of Dan Patrick on Fox News Channel. He's there with Laura Ingram, and he's always on the Laura Ingram show, just about always on with her. They're, they're very good friends. Have you heard they're very good friends? He likes to point that out. He likes to point out that he put her radio show on the air in Houston on his uh, radio station. Oh, did you know that? I did not yeah. know that. No, that's news for me. So she owes him a lot. Likes it that, you know, that's why he's on her show all the time. She asked him a very straightforward question about the criticism that Republicans like Greg Abbott and, and he himself, Dan Patrick, have received over the rising numbers of COVID cases in Texas. And before making any comment about it, I want you to just listen to his answer to the criticism that state government's not doing enough to contain this surge of the disease. The COVID is spreading, particularly uh, most of the numbers are with the unvaccinated, and the Democrats like to blame Republicans on that. Well, the biggest group in most states are African-Americans who have not been vaccinated. The last time I checked, over 90% of them vote for Democrats in their major cities and major counties. So it's up to the Democrats to get, just as it's up to Republicans, to try to get as many people vaccinated. But we respect the fact that if people don't want the vaccination, we're not going to force it on them. That's their individual right. But in terms of criticizing the Republicans for this, we're encouraging yeah. people who want to take it to take it, but they're doing nothing for the Afri African-American community. Now, he was not asked at all about racial disparity in the uh, vaccination rates or anything like that. He went, he went, I'll say this, he went straight to black people all on his own. Laura Ingram didn't ask him about that. Um, a lot of people immediately said this racism, racist comments. I usually default to saying this on any sort of commentary like this from someone like Patrick, which is, I don't know that the guy is necessarily racist, but he's certainly saying something that would appeal to racists because they want to hear. And here's why they want to hear that. It's not their fault yeah. for why this is happening. Right. People That's who are white Trump supporters don't want to hear that. It's their fault that they're not getting vaccinated and that they absolutely refuse to do things like put on masks when there's a surge in certain communities and things like that. Um, but if you look at the numbers, uh, there's no way for African-Americans to be responsible for the numbers that we're seeing of COVID cases in Texas. Am I off base? No, no, they, they just don't represent a large enough percentage of the population for one. And as I pointed out earlier, you look at a place like King County that has a 17 percent of you know, a vaccination rate. That's an almost entirely white community. There's like zero percent black people, mm -hmm. uh, according to the U.S. Census Bureau, that lives there. As like, It's these white counties where the biggest holdouts for the vaccination is happening. Mm -hmm. So it's like it seems like a. It felt like a pretty big leap for him to say, but what about the black you know, people who aren't getting vaccinated? <laughs> right. It's like, what? Unbelievable. Yeah, right. What? And the, the other thing that he said in there, uh, the, the racist undertones aside, he also said that what he is trying to do as a Republican leader is if people want to get the vaccine, he'll encourage them to get the vaccine. Well, thanks a lot for that. That's kind of like saying if people like ice cream, 
I'm going to encourage them to eat lots of ice cream. Well, you, yep. you don't have to do that. If people want to do something and like to do it, then you, you don't need to worry about that. What you need to do as a leader and what would be helpful is go out and persuade people who have some hang up about this. And the people who have shown the most skepticism about the disease are the people who he would share as supporters with former President Trump. Right. I mean, how much good would it do? If Lieutenant Governor Patrick, who I have often called sort of the uh, the spiritual leader of the Republican Party in Texas, maybe the shine is coming off of that. But but I, I still think he has, you know, outsized influence in the Republican Party base. Right. Um, it, how much good would it do if he did a concerted effort to try to convince people who are skeptical of the vaccine to go get it? Because he's the one if, if there are people out there who are Republicans and they've heard a lot of this information. They've got certain people who are sharing things on social media, people you know, posting things on Facebook about, you know, the, the vaccine makes you magnetic. A lot of these weird conspiracy theories and things like that. They're reading all these weird things. But if they heard from somebody that they trust, like Dan Patrick, who says, actually, the, the vaccine is safe, effective, and you yep. should go get it, that would make all the difference in the world. Yeah. Yeah, and so and and he's like a lot of Republicans. We've heard some Republicans don't even want to say if they got vaccinated. Right. You know, it's as as like, but yeah, I think you're right. I think he has the bully pulpit to really encourage people. You know, particularly in, in again those those you know rural and you know, outside of you know the big urban areas. It's like those folks. You know, it's like probably would be helped by hearing a, a, a real testimonial from. Him. You know, more right, Republicans, yeah. mm -hmm. you know, who are in that Trump world. You know, look, he can say, I was Trump's chairman. Like, yes. I, I understand. But remember, you know, Trump got the vaccination. Right. And so should you. You know, it's like he could really make that case and have a lot more to it than me saying it, obviously. Right. Well, and I think that um, Trump and his supporters, like the lieutenant governor, could easily just say, and it could be part of the legacy of the administration, is that we would maybe not even have a vaccine yet if they hadn't made it a priority to get it done the way they did during yep. the Trump administration. Yep. How many times did Trump himself talk about Operation uh, what, Operation Warp Speed yep. and trying to get that thing done? And they did it in record time. Now, they had some things that were going on behind the scenes scientifically that made it possible to move quicker on that. But look, it, it it's, it's kind of the same thing as we will go to the moon, right? We, JFK, we, we will go to the moon. And we do these things not because they're easy, but because they're hard. Well, in this case, you didn't have to do it because it was hard. You do it because people are dying. And they had you know Trump moving quick on that. It's to Trump's credit, easily uh, the case can be made, to his credit that we got the vaccine as quick as we did. And to Biden's credit that they've been trying to move out the, you know, move out the shots to get them in people's arms as quick as they could. And Patrick could easily just say, former President Trump, this is his vaccine and you should take it there. Well, and, and you just stumbled upon the gold right there. It's like so that's usually that's how it happens with me. I stumble right into it. Yeah, yeah, it's like so. Maybe what we need to do is just like you know, tell the folks in like in, you know, again, I'm picking on King County a lot today, but you know, tell the folks in King County the vaccination site is for the Trump vaccine. Trump, yes. You know, come get the Trump vaccine, it's, but then you can go down into like some other part of Texas. You know, it, it, go down to Laredo, wherever. Go, no, no, don't worry, don't. This isn't the Trump vaccine. That's the Biden <laughs> this vaccine. Is the Biden you vaccine. Say, whatever you, know? you want to like, do, this, yeah, to help people get, get it. it. Yeah, but yeah. but for Trump supporters, it's like uh, it's like uh, Trump vodka. Same thing, yep. Trump vaccine, whatever. Yep. All right, there is like the Trump stakes. Yeah, you know, the Trump, Trump stakes, stakes. Trump vodka. You know, Trump University. Get a Trump shot. You know, it's yeah. like just give him the credit for. It. I don't care. It, just like. Just get vaccinated, please. So. Right, except this is the thing that of his that works. All right, um, in the core in the house, we reported it uh, <laughs> at quorumreport.com. Uh, we, we we saw the outlines of this 
on Thursday. And it was made official on the floor of the House after this more than a month-long standoff, after one full special session of the Texas legislature was wadded up and thrown in the trash. And uh, we're, what, 11, 12 days into this one now. Um, there is a quorum in the Texas House. And Speaker Phelan called it from the front microphone. You know when they uh, vote in the House, you hear that bell ringing yep. whenever they're voting on a bill or whenever they are taking attendance there? Well, you hear the House clerk ring the bell and the uh, Speaker makes the announcement. A quorum is present. We have been waiting to hear that for some time. It's been a nasty standoff, and it has brought out, I think, the worst in some of the membership of the Texas House of Representatives. You see uh, just personal insults uh, being hurled at uh, member between members, the Republicans and Democrats um, insulting themselves. I did or insulting each other, maybe insulting themselves a little bit too with some of the rhetoric, <laughs> some of the rhetoric that they're using. So I say myself. Self-deprecating. Yes, right. <laughs> yeah, well, sometimes, sometimes, but most of it was just really nasty vitriol at each other. The Republicans and Democrats just eating each other up. Uh, but I did say earlier at quorumreport.com, to their credit, most of the members of the Texas House did not do that. Right? We saw some that were tweeting all the time, just hatred at each other. Most of them are not doing that. It's very often the case in politics that the small, vocal, angry minority does not represent the majority of, of the folks in, in whatever given situation. Um, I thought this was pretty uh, moving, actually. And um, an interesting moment, there was uh, a longtime observer of the Texas House and the Texas legislature who said that when they, um, you know, when they do memorial resolutions in the Senate or in the House, when, when someone has passed away, yep. this person said that when Chairman Garnett Coleman, who has been in the House for decades and earlier this year had one of his uh, legs partially amputated, uh, he's been in very poor health for, for several years. He was one of the Democrats breaking quorum, and he did not go to Washington. He stayed in Houston because of his health issues. And, of course, House leadership had said he's protected because he's got health issues. We're not going to try to go arrest him or have DPS round him up or anything like that. Um, in the last couple of days, uh, Coleman had announced that he was going to return to the Texas House floor. And uh, this person who has been watching the legislature for decades said that when they brought him into the chamber, and Armando Wally, one of his fellow Houston Democrats, uh, you know, brought him onto the floor, uh, was pushing the wheelchair uh, up to the front of the house. Uh, they said it was quieter than when they do a memorial resolution. The, every, you could have heard the, you, the cliche. You could hear the pin drop in the Texas house as this is unfolding. And Coleman had previously announced he would come back. And he thought it was time for Republicans and Democrats to start working together again after this protracted fight about voting rights. And, and I should say, this is one of the most respected on both sides of the aisle. They don't really have an aisle in the Texas House, but you get it. Republicans and Democrats really respect him, an African-American leader from Houston. And he went to the front microphone, and this was part of his opening prayer as they met on Thursday. One of the things that in life, this is my prayer, one of the things in life is we have to know what our responsibilities are, and we have to work to move something in the direction where we want it to be. And that has a lot to do with civility uh, and how we show our love and our understanding of what God wants for all of us. And when anybody does something that doesn't comport with that and they claim, claim, they claim they're, it, it, it bothers me and I think it bothers everyone. 
And in this prayer, I pray that we, I pray that we look, all of us, look inside about where we want this world to go, this state, this house, and look at it from the perspective of trying to find as much common ground as could, could be found. Now, it is a nice prayer, and I said it was a, um, a moving moment, although I'm not sure the Republican leadership is in the mood to find common ground with Democrats after the last month of this standoff. I, I yeah. get the sense, and you've seen some of it in the public commentary that I talked about from Republicans, but also in the agenda itself, as laid out by Governor Abbott, that what is about to happen and we'll watch it all closely. And anything can happen in a legislative session. Uh, you never know exactly. And it happens in regular sessions and special sessions. And, and in some ways, in special sessions, it's easier for things to twist, you know, twist off because they have uh, they, there's a compressed time frame, right, for everything to happen. Uh, so we have about two weeks to go in this special session. We we for sure for sure have at least one more uh, this year. Looks like Republicans are going to ram the uh, hardline conservative agenda down the throat of the Democrats. Now, even after Coleman gives that prayer about finding common ground, you are already seeing the bills move in the House that have to do with elections, which, of course, is why the Democrats walked out in the first place. Uh, the Democrats would say that the elections bill itself, the impetus for it is the big lie that President Trump and his supporters continue to tell that that he's still the president. And he could be reinstalled at any time because he had the election stolen from him. Also on the agenda, um, transgender kids in sports, which was a nasty fight during the regular session. Also on the agenda uh, is more abortion restrictions and on and on and on. And one of the big key points, I think, that Republicans may be getting wrong here, because I, I get the, I get the, the impulse to want to be mean and, and be punitive to these Democrats after they were on the run. But a hard right agenda, Jeremy, probably doesn't play well for Republicans in a lot of the same places that they need to win to retain a majority in the Texas House next year. Now, I'm not predicting, you know, predicting some Democratic wave, but I can tell you those things that I was just talking about do not poll well in swing districts of the Texas House around the state. Districts will be changed some in this uh, redistricting session that's going to come up uh, probably in September. Uh, but in those districts that are in suburban areas like, which you mentioned, Collin County earlier, uh, also in Denton County, Fort Bend County, Hayes County, Williamson County, those places, the districts can't change that much because the Texas Constitution has a rule that says for the House districts, they have to basically stay within the county. There's a county line rule. And they have to keep the counties as whole as possible. In the rural areas, they can go outside those county lines a little bit more because they don't have any, as many people. Right? Yeah. The whole idea with redistricting is that you're trying to honor the constitutional concept or principle of one person, one vote. Of course, we know politicians use it differently from that. Right? They, they use it to choose their voters. The uh, map drawers, which will be the Republicans in the legislature, they're not similarly constrained when it comes to the State Board of Education or the Texas Senate or the congressional districts. That's why those look the way they look. And we get those, you know, funny maps of like Dan Crenshaw's district and stuff like that. Uh, but the, the hard feelings, long simmering resentment that was right, it brought right to the surface during this whole last, you know, six weeks or so of a quorum break, um, I think is going to lead to some nasty things right now that Republicans may feel good about, but it could be cutting off their nose to spite their face. 
Well, and that's a really good point, too, because and think of like the impact COVID has had on this, too, because, you know, because of all the restrictions, you know, members, particularly new members, didn't have as much of a chance to interact with members of the opposite party, you know, just in more social settings and things like that, that typically would happen in a legislative session. And so there was no none of that, you know, a lot less of that breaking of bread with people from Mm -hmm. different walks of life. And so that adds to this, like, uh you know, this lack of camaraderie already. And then now you have this happening. And so you have, you know, you, you know, look at how many, you know, newish members are kind of involved with some of these bombs going back and yeah. forth. And you're like, well, that's very different from like the old timers who, who are taking their position, but you don't hear as many of them like trying to burn down their opponent, mm-hmm. you know, and say, okay, we're going to punish the heck out of every single one of you. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, that seems like, look, there's going to be people who want to do that. Mm-hmm. But you, know, you hope that there's some sort of camaraderie at some point where, you know, look, I don't expect a lot of Republicans to say, oh, now we see your point of view and well, we're going to change this legislation, make it softer. Right. No, no, I think they're still going to do what they're going to do. Uh, but the question is, do you take it one step too far again? Remember, that's how we got here. Right. They took the the election bill one step way too far mm-hmm. for anybody to take, and they ended up doing the walkout really at the last minute. It wasn't planned, yeah. you know, back in May until you know the, the Republicans rolled out this bill that went after souls to the polls. It changed right. everything. It went after souls to the polls. It made it possible to overturn elections with any it was scant evidence of uh, any kind of voter fraud and that sort of stuff and I think how it was it was 23 pages of additional language yeah, that exactly. were rolled out in the last 72 hours of the legislative session and really in the last 48 hours of being able to vote on a bill, right? Vote on the final uh, conference committee report. You're right. That that was more of an organic thing that the Democrats sort of got desperate at the end because they were going to get steamrolled with all this other stuff when, to your point about camaraderie, earlier in the legislative session, the regular session, in the Texas House, they did some very serious legislating on that in the middle of the night with the Democrats and Republicans coming together to add a whole slew of amendments to improve the bill with no objection from either party. Yeah. Right. And 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 a bunch of that got tossed in 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 favor of things that had never been debated in either the Texas Senate or the Texas House. Now I mentioned the general elections and what some of this might mean for Republicans. But I do and and watch this space, Jeremy. I think this is going to be pretty fascinating. Over the last fifteen years or so, we have watched really nasty Republican primaries at the state house level, all across Texas. And a lot of this driven by Groups like Empower Texans, Texas Right to Life, these sort of third-party conservative enforcement groups, I would call them, um, dark money organizations. And you may see a version of this start to really emerge on the Democratic side. There are some Democrats who are right now blasting. And I mean in some of the – earlier I talked about Democrats and Republicans mad at each other. Look at how angry some of the Democrats are at other Democratic members. The Democrats who came back to the House floor to reestablish a quorum so that the Republican majority can move forward with their agenda, they are hated right now by some uh, some of their colleagues in the House who are blowing them up basically as sort of squishes and traitors and people who want to go along with what Republicans want to do, and by some of the party activists and some of the third party groups on the progressive side are blowing them up. And you may see what we saw in other states and in congressional races i'm thinking of course of uh, the classic example being uh, aoc yep. in new york city taking on the establishment and in this state and th- it, previously this would not be possible but in the last two four and six years 
how many brand new Democratic voters have been added in Texas? Record numbers, right? And how many of them are young people who are more liberal, more progressive in their politics? And they don't want to hear about how, you know, where you went back to Austin because you were going to try to work out a deal with the Republicans. Some of those folks think that they should have stayed in Washington forever or at least until a voting rights bill was passed. So I'll be real just tuned into this. What's it going to look on the Democratic side for some of those uh, Democratic primaries? And I do think there is similar to some of those congressional races, you know, where AOC and uh, her organization have been working to fund some of those candidates and more progressive candidates against people like Henry Cuellar down in South Texas. I bet you start to see some of that money flow into Democratic primaries for the state house. And you see a lot of advertising, a lot of advocacy to get rid of any incumbents who, as those folks would see it, just folded to the Republicans this week. Yeah, I think you've nailed it. I think that's exactly what's going to happen here. Uh, we already were seeing hints of it. You know, we saw that. Like you, you mentioned Cuellar, you know, Jessica Cisneros gave him a run. He had a real tough primary. And we saw people like, you remember, Sheila Jackson Lee got primary opponents for the first time, you right. know, in, you know, you know, really decades, you know, it's like, and so you saw a lot of candidates who aren't used to having primaries get some. And, you know, things like, you know, what just happened is only going to bring more, you know, younger upstart Democrats who are like, you know, I'm not waiting in line. If I think you were working too much with Republicans, you know, politics has changed and I'm going to challenge you on it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, those folks are getting a little bit more of a toehold. You know, there are members of, you know, this Texas legislature now who are part of that, who are, you know, challenged, you know, uh, people who were incumbents and won. And I think this is going to continue for both parties. I think they're both going to feel that pressure uh, as their bases become more dominant in Mm -hmm. these primaries. You know, again, thanks to redistricting, you know, we've gotten so good at redistricting, you know, both Republicans and Democrats have more to worry about in primaries than they do in general elections a lot of times. Absolutely. And we have all these new Democratic voters. And I will say it again, you can only be in office for so long before you are the establishment, and people are picking up the pitchforks and the torches to come find you, right? Yep. If you enjoy this show, and I enjoy it a lot more with Jeremy here, you should be a subscriber on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, however you listen to your favorite podcasts. Give us the best rating that you can. Say nice things in the reviews. That would be wonderful. Subscribe to quorumreport.com and houstonchronicle.com, and we will be right back here next week to do this all again. Mm -hmm.